Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. With me, as always, is Charles Chuck Thompson. (laughs) And also with us via Zoom is Libertarian Party Vice Presidential Candidate, Mr. Spike Cohen. How's it going today, man? I'm doing great, Nate and Charles Chuck. How are you guys doing? (laughs) We're doing good. We're doing pretty good. It's, uh, you know, just been a real busy day of working from home, not uh, not ever having to leave or uh, put pants on or any of those annoying things that you have to do when you have to go out to work, you know. Wait, I didn't have to put pants on? No, no. This is, uh, I mean, these days we only live from the top half up, so... (laughs) You know, it's a waste of money these days, pants You know, are. I mean, I'm, we're working on such specific target demos, and they said the, the pantsless people we already had locked down. And so <laughs> yeah. now we're trying to get the people <laughs> who wear true. pants vote. Yeah. Well, um, but you're I, right. No one can even tell. I'm thinking we and, can maybe put a pants fine through Congress, possibly, just so, just so we can we can all be more comfortable all the time. So would you, uh, would you, would you vote for something like that? Would you be behind the pants, a pantsing fine? Potentially a fine for wearing pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to go and get I, I, I would be more right amenable to that than I would for a fine for not wearing pants. Okay, all right. Um, but but I, yeah, I mean, I, I I will say as as somewhat of a doctrinaire libertarian, it, it rubs me somewhat the wrong way to find people for for wearing pants. I would. But say. if we're gonna if we're gonna get into mandating clothing, I would rather mandate no pants. Wearing, okay, I just wanted going to, that way. I wanted to start off right now so we can see. Uh, you know, the people want to switch off the podcast right now or keep it going. They can make that decision, you know. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. Let Fill everyone in and uh, let everyone know who you are, what you've been doing, and uh, what you're up to now. Absolutely. So my name is Spike Cohen, uh, and I am the Libertarian Party nominee and candidate for vice president, along with my running mate, Joe Jorgensen. We are running on a campaign to basically undo all of the terrible things that the Republicans and Democrats have done in their exclusive control of government for the last 150 years. And uh, I, so I personally, I started a website design company back in 1999 when I was uh, just before my 17th birthday. And uh, three years ago, I sold that company so I could focus my life on my real passion, which is spreading the message of liberty to the world uh, and to a public that often hasn't heard of our ideas and helping to move that needle uh, of public opinion and public conversation away from ever more statism, ever more growth of government and towards, uh, you know, our ideas, our ideas of self-ownership, non-aggression, voluntary solutions, ending the wars and, you know, ending the taxes and so forth. And to that end, I became the co-host of the Muddy Waters of Freedom and the host of My Fellow Americans and the co-owner of Muddy Waters Media. And we have been spreading that message for years now. And uh, then I leveraged that into, I guess I, I parlayed that into running for the Libertarian Party vice presidential nomination uh, using the communication and leadership skills that I've learned from over 20 years of business ownership and, uh, you know, podcasting and running uh, shows and everything else. Well, we're in a bit of a unique time right now, I would say. This is something that you know, I, I never really thought we'd have to talk about all the things that we're talking about. You know, we started off with the coronavirus pandemic and and we, we've taken it seriously, but also it seems like maybe the government mandates have gone a little bit far when it comes to, you know, shutting down the entire economy and then and then upping all of their expenditures uh, after that. That's that's been a little crazy. And, and now we're right. going through some some really crazy times and shedding some light on things that I think need light shed on them. 
And uh, it's, you know, I guess I'll, I'll start off with the number one thing in the news right now is going to be the, the police brutality conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what would a Jorgensen Cohen administration do about this? If there is something at the executive level, uh, what, what would be your solutions to some of these things? Oh, there's a lot that can be done at the executive level because it's largely at the executive level and definitely at the federal level that this has happened. The police brutality has been going on for quite some time. But it has been ramped up thanks to Joe Biden and Donald Trump and and everyone that's in the Republican and Democrat parties for the most part. Uh, They have ramped it up through things like the civil asset forfeiture program where the government takes everything from you if you're accused of a crime even before you go to trial. And if even by some miracle you're able to be found not guilty or have the charges dropped, even though you have no means to defend yourself because your own property and money that was stolen from you is being used to pay for your prosecution, even if you're able to get out of those charges, you now have to pay to sue the government for your own stuff back that they just determined they took from you wrongfully. Yeah, you might not even get that. That is a program that actually exists and it is run at the federal level and pretty much every step state participates. They steal billions of dollars, close to $10 billion a year out of the pockets of mostly out of small individuals uh, that they take from. And uh, we would end that immediately. We would end the 1033 military surplus program where the military industrial complex is just dumping endless military equipment and training on how to use military equipment in military settings and then unleashing the people they just trained militarily into our communities and our in our neighborhoods we would end that we would end qualified immunity which is the absurd legal doctrine that says that if the police determine that what they did was reasonable to themselves then they aren't able to be sued for when they kill us or hurt us or in any other way infringe upon our rights and liberties. Imagine being able to go into court and say, Your Honor, I know I was just accused of murder, but what I think what I did was perfectly reasonable. And the judge goes, okay, well, I'll, 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 I'll throw out the charges. That's qualified immunity. That would end immediately. Um, we would end the minimum sentencing guidelines, uh, and allow, which would allow judges to come up with more compassionate, restorative sentencing for especially first-time offenders, but really any offenders. We would move towards a model of restorative justice over retributive, retributive justice. And, uh, and we would use the Department of Justice as a department of actual justice, going after abusive police, abusive government officials, abusive departments with a long history of abuse and, uh, and and discrimination. And we would basically upend the entire relationship between the federal government and the states, where instead instead of us sponsoring them to become ever more brutal and, and ever more militarized, we would do the opposite. We would cut off their funding, we would defund them at the federal level, and then we'd force them to actually... Uh, enforce and protect and not infringe upon the constitutionally protected and affirmed rights and your life and property as well. Yeah. And that's what we've been talking about on this show is you want to make it as local as possible. It's just like education and other things. It's like, there's no reason that the federal government should have any purview, uh, whether it be by, you know, uh, dollars, which is basically quit, quid pro quo anyway over the states they shouldn't be like oh we're we're gonna hold withhold this funding from you if you don't do what we want and other things like that but it's it, you know it's very interesting obviously our position we're we're um well i think nate's still a member of the libertarian party i'm not yet but i might be i mean after talking to 
Dr. Joe Jorgensen. And obviously this interview and the more I go down and it's like, okay, maybe I need to be a part of the party uh, of what I align with mostly. Yeah. Um, we'd love and, to have you and try to, and try to get that. So I would say that, you know, I'm a small L libertarian, although I don't like being boxed in. That's how, that's <laughs> that's how, how libertarian I am. <laughs> so libertarian, you can't join the party, but, but like, uh, which L are you? Am I being detained? <laughs> right. <laughs> Charlie has said that before. I'm pretty sure. I actually so. have, yeah. but anyway, um, but you know, it's on, the, on a serious note, it's like, uh, though all those our solutions are great. And I know that like, um, and I'm not sure if this is part of the actual libertarian platform, but we we probably would consider a more privatized police. But even if we don't go that far, let's say we don't do that. Um, would you would it be a position of redirecting funding that you would see in more police training in different forms of policing? Um, because it's not like I don't think we can get rid of police overnight. I mean, to me, the the. What I'm seeing the defund the chant, the defund the police chants are all about redirecting that money somewhere else. For the most so, part, yeah. I mean, there's a there's a couple edgy kids talking about abolish the police outright right now. Um, but for the most part, defund the police means less funding for the police and more funding for. So, for example, in the city of I believe Minneapolis, something like sixty or seventy percent of their calls, nine one one calls, are mental health crises. Things that the last thing you want is two armed people to show up with handcuffs. Even if they're not there to shoot or arrest anyone, if you're in the middle of a mental health crisis, or if you're dealing, you know, if you're dealing with people that have, you know, schizophrenia, people that are dealing with massive panic attacks, people are dealing with PTSD, a lot of veterans coming home from our endless, pointless wars who come home and have PTSD and traumatic brain injuries and everything else. You have people that are dealing with addiction. You have people that are dealing with an actual crisis where what they need is someone who comes and is trained in de-escalating that. And instead, you bring people who, you know, to you know, if you're a hammer, every salute, every problem is a nail. And also, they don't have the training, and just their presence and their 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 uh, their how they present is and as demeanor. two armed people or an armed person coming to deal with this problem, which is the last thing we need, and it escalates often. So, you know, th the short answer is I support putting things back in the hands of the individual communities and allowing them to decide what they want their police force to look like, if anything. And, and that's, you know, we talk about privatizing the police force. And I tend to stay away from that term because to a lot of people, not necessarily to us, but to a lot of other people, when they hear private, they think country clubs, they think, you know, only the rich being able to access something and the rest of us are shut out. And that's, of course, not what we mean. And instead I say community-based. So allowing that individual community to determine what it is they want, allow individual neighborhoods to determine what they want in terms of their first response. Do they feel like they need some kind of, you know, armed uh, patrol? And if so, how how much of them do they need? Uh, a lot of people have talked about moving towards a style of policing that's this that's only on call. So the same as how fire departments and first responders operate. You don't have fire departments per, uh, patrolling around looking for fires. They wait for a call and then they go out to it. And so there's an idea of doing the same thing with the police, that they come out only when needed for a specific thing that the police should be available for. And again, I, I think that should be left up to the communities. And I think the federal government's role is to stop funding the militarization and brutalization of our police forces and also to 
uh, actively prosecute and go after people who are infringing upon the rights of the people, whether they're police or government officials or mental health professionals or mental health officials or whatever else. Anyone who's working for government not only should qualify immunity end, but the federal government should have an active role in stopping people who are infringing upon the rights of, of the, the people that they purport to protect and serve. I love what you just said there, because what you did is you changed the term. What we talk about on this show a lot is you know, there very few people actually think like libertarians. It's like 3% of the population, which imagine yes. that we get about 3% of the vote. Cause we, Nate and I love psychology. And so we took a deep dive into what the actual personality tests of people indicate. And it turns out around 95% of the United States are emotional thinkers. And so I love what you did there where you're like, okay, people, cause we have to change our messaging, which has been a big thing. I believe Instead of saying privatize the police, we say let the communities decide, which I think is a which is a great marketing shift to say, hey, we're going to tailor our message to the way people think because when they when we say private, Eureka. they think <laughs> they think they think rich people only. So if we say community, then they understand. That's brilliant. I love that. Yep. I love that response. Yep. I yep. wanted to and it's, it, and it's great to 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 eventually say and you know we call this privatization or whatever. Once you've got them down that pipeline, down that road into libertarianism, but. For me to go, and I, I've been talking with countless Black Lives Matters protesters, uh, uh, Black Lives Matters officials, both both uh, state and regional and, and national. I've been talking with criminal defense attorneys, criminal uh, 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 justice attorneys, uh, and uh, civil rights attorneys. And when I talk to them about basically what we would call privatizing things or decentralizing things, and I call it community-based policing, community-based decisions, uh, decentralization, and things like that, they're loving it. They're saying, why did no one else come up with this? And I'm, I'm thinking in the back of my head, well, we did, but we called it privatization and, and, and it alienated everyone. Well, just think, <laughs> when, you, when you privatize something, I mean, the thing that the free market has that a government market does not is, is accountability to its customers. Correct. And that's yes. something that really nothing that the government does it has accountability. They can do what they want. And if you don't like it, well, tough, you, you get over it. But and they if, put if, fancy terms like qualified immunity on it. So no one knows what it really well, means. And that's, <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing, like ending qualified immunity is like saying, Hey, um, if one, if, if Amazon does something terrible to you, then, then they should have some redress of your grievances against them and you should not have to pay them or they should get in trouble for doing it. Then they, they call it, if we had qualified immunity for corporations, I'm sure there's some kind of a qualified immunity for some type of corporations. Oh, there's all sorts of yeah. <laughs> carve outs for, for immunity for yeah. large companies. The EPA exists for two purposes. Well, I guess three purposes. One, to make us think that they're protecting us and our environment. Two, to issue tiny fines to large companies that that cause trillions and tens of trillions of dollars in economic damage, not to mention all the, the environmental damage and social and, 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 and health damage uh, that they're doing to us. And then three, to, uh, to oversee through the federal government protections against them from getting sued for that. Yeah. If we took government out, you know, I had someone say, without government, uh, who would protect us from polluters? And I'd say, we would by suing them. And we would not have the government actually passing laws, making it illegal, to, you know, making them exempt, giving them qualified immunity for what they do. Now, of course, if you or I litter, we get a $5,000 or $10,000 fine. But when they dump billions or millions of gallons of sludge into a river accidentally and it just so happened to save them a bunch of money and then they get fined less than what they saved 
and they don't get sued, which would have put them out of business. So there's no deterrence against them doing it in the future. That's a perfect example of what happens. Going back to what you were talking about with emotional thinkers, all of us process things with a combination, some combination of intuition, emotion, and intellect. And that varies from person to person, but it also varies from uh, subject to subject. We, we, you know, the three of us will be more emotional on certain things than we would be on others. Uh, we would, and also, you know, the, the time of day and all sorts of other factors determine how we process things, which is why it is so important. And I learned this from, you know, years of doing communications and sales with my company. You have to meet people where they are, not just in their spaces, mm-hmm. but from their precepts. My friend Scott Horton likes to say, we're better than everyone on the issues. So why bother arguing with them? Just agree with them. We mm-hmm. agree that police brutality is bad. We agree the cost of health care is too much. We agree that damage to the environment is terrible. We agree with all these things. So why argue with them? We agree with you. We agree that these things are a problem and we have found solutions to those problems, but we can never show them those solutions if we first don't empathize with them, demonstrate we care, get the facts of what it is they care about, find out their, you know, in sales, we call them pain points, but find out what it is they care about, present ourselves as trustworthy and caring individuals who then present them our common sense libertarian solutions. That's how you get them. I do it all day long and it works. We always say all the time, you know, if you look at the, say the left or something, they, they make an emotional argument and, and you can feel bad for people who are in a tough position and you can say, well, we need to do this to fix this. Well, our right. argument is also very emotional. When you look at bad economics and bad government policy throughout history, it's one of the, the biggest killers of human beings that's ever existed yes. is yep. bad government policy. We have an emotional argument. Here mm-hmm. you can you can look at pictures of how emotional this argument actually is. I I had a you know this same conversation. I had a great success with these Bernie Sanders supporters that came over to the table during Politicon, and they were like yelling at me and upset and all red in the face and everything because our banner says BernieLies.com on it. That's one of the websites we have. But, <laughs> but uh, they were like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And I was like, well, first off, let's talk about this. You know, like what do you agree with Bernie on? They're like, well, healthcare. We need health. I'm like. Listen, healthcare, the pricing is egregious. We own yes. and operate a healthcare company, a healthcare software company. That's what Charlie and I do. We deal in healthcare all the time. It's like this, it's completely egregious. On the finance it, side, on by the, the finance way. side, so that's what we, we understand. do. And my wife is, and my wife is a financial analyst for the biggest healthcare corporation in the world. Like I, I know about the pricing in healthcare. It's insane. I agree with you. People cannot afford to go to these appointments and to have these treatments. We absolutely agree that this is terrible. But let me tell you why the government might not be the solution for this problem. We both have the same end goal, which is for everyone to have an amazing life and live it to their fullest extent and be able to have the things that they want. We have the exact same goal, but we we do not have the same way of getting there. And let's just discuss what we can agree on. Let's talk about certificate of need laws around the country. You know, yes. we can all agree that those are insane. You know, and, the, but, and the patent laws that allow companies to step in and buy pharmaceutical companies, gut their research departments, gut their marketing departments, and just keep their patents and their production and jack up the price 20-fold. Mm-hmm. And, and the only reason they're able to do that is because the government has these patent laws that they will enforce against anyone who tries to make these decades-old drugs that should have been generic back when we were kids or even before that. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's one example after the next. If we give up on our our inherent libertarian desire to win arguments and instead say, hey, why even have an argument? Healthcare is unaffordable. And, and, and you know, what, here, here's a perfect example. 
people will say to me, healthcare is unaffordable. I think healthcare is a human right. And I think we should do like the other countries in the developed world and have free healthcare. Us, we as libertarians are now fully emotionally triggered, right? Yeah, because yeah. we're we're hearing, you know, healthcare is a right. No, it's not a right. They have positive rights and negative rights. You should read Rothbard, right? And then we're also hearing, uh, you know, it should be free and other countries are doing it. And then we naturally now go, yeah, but in those other countries, they have rationing about. Now, here's what they said. They didn't say I'm a doctrinaire socialist and I want to take from you, comrade, and you know, <laughs> uh, you know, each according to their their ability, uh, uh, each from each according to their ability to each according to their need. What they said was, I'm scared about the cost of healthcare, and I think this is the only real solution. So we agreed with them. We we explain how we got here. We demonstrate that we actually give a crap about them, and then we can take them on that journey with healthcare, and we can do it with anything—healthcare, education, anything. But we have to agree <clears throat> with the vast majority of people out there who are not sociopaths that we all want the same things. We want affordable healthcare. We want good, affordable education for us and our children. We want you know, wars, most of us, almost all of us want the wars to end. We want people out of cages. We want police brutality to end. We want these things to end. So let's agree with them and then let's show them the way. Where do I, where do I sign up for the Libertarian Party? <laughs> uh, LP.org slash join. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's, and it's because I like, I'm really encouraged by the changing of the message, honestly. And, and throughout, yeah. I mean, right now in this conversation, I'm getting emotional. I'm getting, ho- <laughs> I'm getting hopeful and I'm, and I'm, and I'm thinking like, okay, I really believe that, you know, may, like there is a hopeful change occurring. You know, I sticking on the emotional side of the argument kind of thing, because I think that's very important. And, and obviously, Dr. Joe Jorgensen's, a, you know, a professor of psychology. So, yes, I know she definitely understands this. I so I wanted to watch this movie when it came out in theaters. But unfortunately, my girlfriend was sick and then I've been sick and this pandemic hit and all this, whatever. But the movie Just Mercy, I watched it this weekend. I'm man enough to admit that I bawled my eyes out and I, then I text Nate and said, I'm going to law school. (laughs) We literally have, we have the emotional argument because just watching that movie based on a true story. And then you go look up other things. Government has been perpetrating these disgusting behind the scenes things against people that it's just so infuriating that I'm like, I need to figure out a way to make as much money as I can go to law school and be a pro bono lawyer and help these people. I mean, the guy that they executed, we talked about Nathaniel Woods, same kind of same yes. kind of deal. The guy what they executed nightmare. who had PTSD, he admitted, he's like, yeah, I made the bomb and I set it on the girl's porch. But the dude went to Vietnam when he was 18 and his entire freaking balloon, a, a platoon got blown up in front of his eyes and the guy just needed help. And yeah. the, yet they execute him. And all of, you know, these, it, it, you think about, um, the more my eyes are open to, let's say I, I come from, uh, conservatism. I come from the right. I was a big George yep. Bush fan when, you Me know, too. when I was yep. back in the day and I was like, yeah, turn the sand into glass and, and all of this <laughs> stuff. And obviously as I yep. get, as I get deeper into this, I realize that, you know, the people who say that they're for you, they're not for you <laughs> at all. They have their own agendas. And, you know, watching that movie this weekend, I was just like, I couldn't believe the the levels of systemic, not only racism, but systemic injustice corruption to, and corruption. Mm-hmm. And and I've known about, obviously, the corruption and a lot of things going on, but just the sheer level, like, how do those people sleep at night? 
I they can't, have, I, I, I think at some point they've convinced themselves that this was right. And so now they've just sort of divorced themselves from the reality of what they're doing. And, uh, and I, I think some of them are also sociopaths. Unfortunately, I do think politics attracts so- sociopaths because, and power, psychopaths because power attracts sociopaths, power attracts sociopaths. Cause they're like, Oh, I can just pander to people and get in power and do whatever I want. And, if I pander enough, they'll still love me because everyone's so beaten down by the world. They just want something to believe in. And so it's basically, a, it's what we call the cult of the omnipotent state. It's right in our pre uh, right in our, our platform in the libertarian party platform. We talk about this cult that's built around the idea that these people are our betters sitting down on from the city of the Hill. And you know, the, the font of knowledge that they are bestowing upon us, their countenance, whenever they see fit. And it's just the opposite. It is the most corrupt and and broken people that are there and for no other reason than to do the bidding of powerful cronies who put them there and you know get them to sign off on endless legislation talking about this thing with criminal justice most states have a quota of a minimum number of you the people in these states that have to be in those prisons each year and some of them have minimum increases to those quotas. Now you're probably thinking, why the hell does my government have a quota of a certain number of me that have to be in jail? That's insane. Because they have contracts with prison labor contractors that make billions of dollars a year contracting effectively free prison labor. 23 cents an hour, 40 cents an hour is free. I mean, it's all but free. You're basically just paying for their costs because then most of that gets eaten up either in the fines that they, that they have to pay while they're in prison um, or, or the cost of their, of their care. They're, they're being caged against their will. So they get basically nothing. Um, and so, you know, the 13th amendment ended chattel slavery for the private sector. And it moved it to the system we have now, and which has been getting worse and worse every year. And, and there's only one reason why. Every, all of these things, whether it's war, terrorism, immigration, education, uh, healthcare, this with, with, with criminal justice, they all go down to one thing. Follow the money. Who is profiting from this particular injustice? And once you see who's profiting from it, all of a sudden you find out who's been writing and sponsoring and co-sponsoring the laws the people that they put in place, the people that they're giving the donations to. It's not really that hard to do. It's very clear, a very clear line between the cronies who want something done and who realize that because all the power is concentrated into a centralized government, that they don't have to make money by providing value to us, to the market, to the people. Instead, they can just patronize a relative handful of people at the top and give them legislation to sign in exchange for filling up their war chest. So they put millions in their war chest and get trillions back. It's quite a return on investment. They don't have to provide any actual value. They just have to create a system that robs all of us to their benefit. You know, and that's we need- why the Republicans and Democrats have been in control for the better part of 150 or actually over 150 yeah. years because we, that's the system the cronies set up. We should set up an oversight committee to take care of this problem, right. actually. <laughs> oh, know. that'll fix well, it. Blue okay. ribbon yeah. panel. Yeah. A blue ribbon panel on ending cronyism sponsored yeah. by Monsanto. We should that, make um, that, this kind of thing illegal. That's that's that, what we should do. No, it's... that's what. Well, that's the question I want to ask. Okay, so how do we shift the focus of... Because, uh, you know, then this aligns with another documentary that I watched. I believe it's called 13 on Netflix, which I thought yeah, was 13th, really, yeah. really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, until they they 
Well, well, rightfully so. They started hating on Alec, the American Legislative uh, Executive Council. They're the ones that have written a lot of these laws for private prisons and stuff like that. And they have right. major donors like Walmart and um, all these other major corporations that donate for this type of uh, legislation. But how do we get people to understand that, that yes, what Alec is doing is wrong. What these companies, what these private organizations are doing is wrong, but they have no power without the actual representatives without introducing government. the legislation and then all the, the entire body passing it. So the, the, the root of the tree of evil, let's say, would have to be the, the government passing it. So how do we shift the focus uh, and say, yes, you're correct that large corporations and big businesses do bad things. However, the real root of the issue is the biggest corporation of all, which is government, because they yep. are incorporated. They, mm -hmm. they operate like a corporation. All your cities, and they're a monopoly too. Exactly. They're a monopoly. Yeah. Yep. So how do we shift that focus? What's the, you know, what's the messaging on that? That that's to say, hey, you're right. Alec is a terrible organization. But how do they get things done? The only way to get it done is through the the government. The power structure. The power structure. Yeah. How do we get rid of the power? How do we, how do we start to tear down? something that's taken so long to build where people are afraid that if you start to do it, then it's going to negatively affect them. Well, first you have to get the message out and you asked how to get the message out. You just said the message, all we have to do. And this is the beauty. When I came in and I saw what was happening with libertarian messaging, I pretty quickly figured out what the problem was. We aren't using the feel felt found method. We aren't using sales techniques in our outreach. Our outreach is to try to sell our system and our philosophy to people up front. And unless they are wired the same way as us, no one it's gives not a going shit. to work. <laughs> and it's care. not like, oh, we're smarter. It's we process things differently. When we see something, even the smallest thing, we tend to systemize it. We tend to work it figure out how this works into our greater ethos and philosophy and praxis. And if it doesn't, then we have to go through this process of reconciling it and figuring out what we have to change and our own belief structure in order to be, that's not how the 90, you said what, 95, 97%. Mm -hmm. That's not how everyone else does it. They face things as, on an ad hoc basis using a combination of intuition, emotion, and intellect. And so the beauty of that is our problem is so simple that we simply have to change how we're interacting with people. And that's obviously easier said than done, but it's actually fairly easy. You just have to empathize with people. You have to meet people where they are, both in their spaces and from their precepts. And then from there, you already done half the work. Empathize with them. I'm going, like I said, I'm going into Black Lives Matter spaces, protests, rallies, online Zoom calls, phone calls, conference calls, and things like that, talking with folks who have never talked to a Libertarian Party member, much less a candidate, ever, and had some really bad takes about Libertarianism because we allowed ourselves to be defined by people who have a vested interest in keeping us out. And now I'm in front of them. Now I'm telling them, yeah, black lives matter. Yeah, we want to crush systemic racism. Yeah, we want to end police brutality. Yeah, we recognize that the Democrats pander to you and then bring you nothing. And we can do similar stuff with Republicans on issues that they like, you know, gun rights and, and things like that. And, you know, Drug lower laws. taxes, smaller Drug government. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all of that. Military but spending. <laughs> specifically with this, their whole thing is they'll go, it's these corporations, man. And I go, yeah, it is these corporations. Why do they exist? Well, because they're, you know, they're benefiting from this thing existing. They're greedy. Yeah. They're mm -hmm. greedy. 
Mm-hmm. They're greedy, but but I'll say but and I'll say they are greedy. That's obviously why they're doing it. Yeah. Why do they exist? How do they exist? And after usually after explaining you know how government works and so forth, they get it pretty quickly because it's like oh that's why they exist. This isn't about there needs to be a law. It's the government needn't even be involved in this in the first place. The very creation of that structure of that monopoly on violence and power and influence and wealth has created this system whereby instead of becoming wealthy by providing value to people, instead I can become wealthy by just pandering to cronies and getting them to do what I want uh, or being a crony that panders to politicians and getting them to do what I want in exchange for a few million bucks or tens of millions of dollars in their campaign coffer. And that, you know, I can make way more return on investment by being a scumbag under this system created to make to benefit scumbags at the expense of literally everybody else. And then from there, once I, we really have their attention, then we can get into why that is. So once once we've gotten them to agree, and we don't have to start right off the bat, but once we get them to agree with it, when they co- now are saying, but why does this even exist? Now we can talk about self-ownership. We can say you own yourself and your life and your body and your labor and your property. And that the reason aggression against others is bad isn't just that it's morally wrong, but because it doesn't work. Because if I can take from the two of you and everyone else watching and listening to this at home, whenever I see fit, I'm not going to be a good steward of it because I can just take more of it whenever I want. And you're not going to be as good of a steward of what you have because I can take from you whenever I want and you don't know when it's going to be taken from you. So you just use it as, as you, as you wish, instead of coming up with longer, you know, uh, more, uh, you know, longer term forward thinking ideas, you just spend it because you, you, you have it in front of you. And all of these systems that are created, all of these so-called solutions and policies and agencies and everything that the Republicans and Democrats have created are nothing more than a system whereby they have presumed the authority to take from all of us as they see fit. And that's why it leads to harmful and abusive and inequitable outcomes because it's meant to, because how could it not? And it's not a matter of simply replacing them with good people, because even if you could find those good people, which so far we haven't been able to find, who are going to run this incredibly corrupt, powerful system in a perfectly uh, empathetic and altruistic way, they'll eventually be gone. And now what? That's so what I've, that's what it's, I've always it's a said. Very, it's a very easy road to hoe, but we have to start by meeting them where they are and empathizing with them and being kind and recognizing that it's not always going to be easy. They're going to call us greedy. They're going to call us selfish. They're going to say that we don't know what it's like to be whatever their identity is if, if we're white, or they're going to say that we don't know what it's like to be poor if, 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 they, if we were never poor. They'll, they, you know, they'll say things because they're having a reaction to having their beliefs challenged, even when we're agreeing with them. And then we need to not fall back on our laurels of attacking them with our systemized you know, way of looking at things and instead realize that we're dealing with someone who is scared, who is wary, who is dealing with yet another politician or political thinker when they've been betrayed so many other times. And now what makes you think that you can just waltz in and they're going to suddenly listen to you? So we have to be patient. We have to be kind. We have to be empathetic. We have to be engaging. We have to be dynamic. We have to actually follow through. We have to demonstrate that we actually care because if we're not doing this with care for others, then just don't do it. Because if it's just based on your philosophy, you're not going to sell people on your philosophy, except people who are already like you and they're already more than likely here. At this point with social media, anyone who's like us already knows about us. So we have to reach people who often are going to have a major problem and they might even call you things you don't like. We have to be kind and empathetic and engaging and dynamic and we have to be patient. If we do that, 
and we show them that we actually care about them and change the face of how we do things to better fit how we would deal with someone that we care about and that we love, then if we do that with others, then they will come in. We will be able to change them and it'll be an incredibly dynamic thing when it happens because that will be each time that that happens, it'll be a snowball effect because now the person who's presenting in their communities, our ideas, isn't some outsider doing it. It's someone they trust doing it. And so now all of a sudden it becomes a lot easier and it becomes a snowball effect. We just have to be kind. We have to be empathetic. We have to do what, you know, what people in sales have been doing for, you know, centuries now. We have to meet them where they are. We have to demonstrate ourselves as caring and, and empathetic and trustworthy characters. And then we have to present our solutions once we've won their hearts and minds. One thing that's important is that it needs to be, you know, salesmen can have a bad connotation for sure. That, that, that could be bad. It needs to be, I think libertarians have to find it inside of themselves for that to be real. Like we have to realize that there is true empathy behind what we're talking about. You know, I'm, I'm not a libertarian because I think I'm smarter than everyone and I hate the government or I hate it. I'm a libertarian right. because I don't want to see millions of people starve to death when exactly. they don't have to like that. I don't want to see, I don't want to see 500,000 people in a cage when they don't have to be in a cage. Like that's or, or a million, I guess. 2.1 million. Yeah, 2.1 million. 2. And you could say million. easily 50 to 60 to 70% probably shouldn't even be in there. I don't even know what the actual number is. So excuse me if those numbers are way off, but I know 45% are drug crimes. Is that yeah, right? Nonviolent. Like, I'm, yeah. A, yeah. I, I'm a libertarian because I don't want to see people put in cages because I want everyone to have the best lives possible. And so libertarians, this is, we went to Young Americans for Liberty and we had this conversation with, uh, with a room full of people there. And we did, did a little speech and we did a presentation and we said, listen, no one, like hardly anyone thinks like you do. Everyone else thinks like this. Everyone yep. else thinks emotions first. And what it is, is they want to help people. And what we have to get across is that so do we. We want to help people too. That's why we have this ideology is because we want to help people. And so we've done a bad job getting that message across. It's all been anti this and anti that and anti everything else when it needs to be pro a bunch of things like pro uh, maybe privatization you could just say free market pro you know people's individual rights all, all of these things and and start putting forward that message so people will be once you're on the defense you know you're not really going to listen that much afterwards we once once you put someone on the defense for their for for their ideology they just put up a wall and then and then and then that's it so we, I, I try to i try to challenge people's belief systems as little as possible initially yeah. Because they already know I disagree with them. They already know I have this new idea and they're, or, or something that uh, I'd rather deal with someone who's never heard of libertarianism than someone who got some terrible take on it, either from someone who hates libertarians or from a libertarian who has no business giving takes on libertarianism to others or, or needs to you know, reconfigure how they're doing it in the future. Um, but when I deal with people like that, I don't want to challenge their beliefs. I want to agree with them because, again, they're worried about the same things we are. And once we bridge that gap, we've already gone halfway there. Once we are all on the same page that we want the same thing, even then when they start to go, yeah, but I don't really agree with that, they at least recognize we give a crap about them. Because often when they're hearing our ideas, they won't even, we're already dealing with the cognitive defense right here of them going, I don't want to listen to this guy. 
he just wants poor people to starve. He wants his, uh, or she wants, you know, this person I'm speaking to uh, just wants their taxes to be lower. They don't care about anyone else. They don't care about their communities. They just want their taxes lower. So even if they agree with you on certain things, the second you start talking about deregulating or lowering tax burdens, they go, ah, there it is. I was waiting for that. That's what you want. <laughs> you have to demonstrate that you care. You have to demonstrate that, you know, I talk a lot about income inequality. I talk a lot about marginalized communities. I talk a lot about harm reduction, not just because those things matter to me, but because they don't know those things matter to us. And when you show that you are leading with what they care about, now you can take them on the journey of what the problem is, and then you can present them with the solutions. Because they don't like, there are very few people that like Joe Biden or, and I guess there's somewhat more because Donald Trump has a cult of personality around him. Mm -hmm. But the vast majority of Donald Trump's voters are people that look at Donald Trump and go, well, he's not Joe Biden. And the vast majority, all but a handful of Joe Biden supporters are people that look at Joe Biden and go, well, at least he's not Donald Trump. These are utterly gettable people and that's before you even get into all the people that are on the sidelines going i don't even think i'm gonna vote this year this sucks i hate these choices or i don't even vote at all because i don't i don't trust government i don't think that they have it in i don't think that you know they have my best interests at heart you know they're saying very libertarian stuff we have to reach them where they are and from their precepts and using an empathetic way of dealing with it and we're not all going to be as effective in the same spaces uh, as others are. Um, you know, sometimes it's best for if someone is most able to work in spaces like gun rights groups or, you know, small government groups, tea parties, I would advise you to go into those groups because honestly, I would rather that you, you know, go where you're the most comfortable and where you're able to be the most relatable than to immediately try to like go and, you know, talk with disaffected Bernie bros or something like that. Because, you know, not that you can't eventually do that, but I'd rather you go where you're most comfortable. People should go into the spaces where they're most comfortable into those spaces using their precepts and bring people in, not recruit or convert, just bring them in, bring them in to let them know that there is an actual viable alternative. And if we do that, we can win this thing. We can win this, not just the White House and, and you know, gubernatorial races and stuff like that. We can win stuff at city council. We can win stuff across the board. We can have what we want, which is libertarians being a part, not just of the political conversation, but of the cultural conversation, which will work downstream to the political conversation. Because usually it's we, the people dragging government along, kicking and screaming as we make the the disruptive social changes we want to see in society. So let's do that. Let's be a part of that. Man, I, th- I was looking through our live group, and you are winning some people over, dude. I think the I think the LP is going to get some signups today, for sure. Great. So uh, as we start to round this out, I always give everyone an opportunity, anyone that's a candidate for anything, to to speak to to speak to the voters on both sides. And what I what I'd like to hear is you walk up to you walk up to a Trump supporter, and they want to know why you should get their vote i'll give you one specific instead of trump actually. what's that i'll what give you, you one specific All someone right. who i think okay. is very intelligent and i and i watched her on this uh panel at a uh a, a black um convention where they had black people speaking about uh, systemic racism and to get her side of things which is which is candace owens so i think she's highly intelligent she's very articulate um how do you like why is she so much for Trump? Is it because of the organization she works for? 
she seems like she has very libertarian ideals. How do we, you know, people want to be on this team sport where the divisive, where the divisiveness uh, runs rampant. So I would, I would say like, how do we get people away from, well, at least it's not Joe Biden, or at least it's not Donald Trump. How do we, and maybe we don't even talk to those types of people because we're never going to change their minds. But what, what would you say would be the campaign, you know, speech or elevator pitch or whatever it would be for someone like Candace Owens or, or for someone else who, you know, is going to vote to say, Hey, this is the only way, this is the only true way that you're going to achieve what we all ultimately want to achieve, which is freedom and security. Well, I can tell you the first thing, what we don't do, which is what the gatekeepers have often told us is the best way to spread libertarianism is to water down our message and say, well, we're kind of the best parts of the Republican and Democrat parties. If you think yeah, of it, no. we're conservative, uh, we're not fiscally conservative, but we're, what's that? That's not compelling. <laughs> no, it's not compelling. And it's actually the opposite of compelling so you because when, in two you different are, ways. <laughs> when you are asking what, well, and what many people hear yeah. is we're the worst parts of both parts. Yeah. You know, part, yeah, you know, right. we, don't, we don't like either party really. Now you're telling us you're like both of them. Here's what a third party when we ask someone to vote for a third party candidate and a third party, we're typically asking them to vote for someone who statistically isn't very likely to win. And so when you present yourself as this kind of cool, you know, best part of both sides, yeah, we'll, we'll get into what I'm in, what I, what I'm about later, but you just need to know, I care about you and like these other two guys and we're just really cool. We're, you know, party for the people and you know, we're, we're kind of the best parts, whatever you like, we like too, but doing it in that kind of a pandery way, Here's what's just happened. The voter has now been given one of two options by you. One is the Republicans and Democrats who don't really represent them and they don't really like them that much, but they're likely to win in their mind. And the second option is this new party that sounds like it might be better for me. And there's there's probably some things in there that I probably would agree more than the Republicans and Democrats, but they're almost, they're likely not to win. That's how you get 1%. That's how you get 2%. That's how you get 3.26% that we got in the last election. You have to come at them from what they actually care about and not pander to them and say, well, you know, we're, we're like the Republicans do, but without the stuff you don't like, you have to be specific. You have to care about what they care about. And this is why I say, those of you listening, you are the power behind this movement. I'm here out broadcasting on a, on a, on a, on a large level and, and, and you know providing policy specifics and things like that to those who ask. It's you that are changing the hearts and minds. It's you that are having those conversations with loved ones. You are the power in this. And so what I would say to you is when you're talking to someone who says, well, but we have to beat Biden, I would say, yeah, I, I can't stand Biden. What are the things you like the least about Biden? And then they'll tell you. And- the beauty of our job is we can explain very easily how Trump has said or done all of those mm-hmm. things and vice versa. And you could say, yeah, Donald Trump did that. And Donald Trump said this, and you know, the Republicans did this and, you know, we didn't like when they did that. And you can even say, you know, I mean, cause there are plenty of times conservatives get upset at the Republican party, like the bump stop bans and the, the vaping bans. And, you know, when they, when they, you know, when they uh, acquiesce every time on spending bills and everything else, and, you know, these, these, uh, uh, you know, spending trillions of dollars and handing them to wall street and everything. And you could say, remember that? That was terrible. I hate that. And then, you know, you can, another way to do it is start with all of your disagreements in general with what government does 
And then, you know, pivot back to, and that's why I'm supporting Joe Jorgensen. And when they go, yeah, yeah, but we got to, we got to beat Don, we got to beat Joe Biden or we got to beat Donald Trump. You can go, yeah, no, what, what are the things you dislike about them? And when they say those, you can go, yeah, but remember, you know, government did that too. Or, you know, the, the, the other side did that too. Even if you don't get them right then, you've planted the seed. They're starting right. to realize, uh-oh, I think I might be getting bamboozled here because it's very, and then you just, I, that's why I don't really get too much into just beating up one side over the other. Uh, I tend to make sure that people are hearing that both sides are completely knee deep in all of this nonsense. And so that would be an effective way to do it is just remind them that the other side's every bit as bad. And then this is the beauty of it. Then pivot to our solutions, our ideas, because everyone has heard plenty of this guy sucks. This guy sucks. Don't vote for this lady. Don't vote for this person. Don't vote for this person. Don't vote for this guy. But what they don't hear a lot is actual ideas. They get these like little pandery, we're going to make healthcare more affordable, but no real specifics. You can talk to them about how we would fix things. But And after disabusing them of the notion that there's any real lesser evil between the Republicans and Democrats, now you can share with them our ideas. And again, this is a conversation that probably will take a little bit longer than just a minute or two, but these are conversations you can be having. It does not guarantee that you're going to get everyone. We're not going to get everyone. We don't, we're not the Borg. We don't expect 100% domination of all people's brains, but you plant seeds and they might say something to someone or someone else might be, especially if you're doing this online on social media with comments, mm-hmm. assume that 100 or 1,000 other people are watching because they probably are or will be in the future, um, especially if you're commenting on Joe Jorgensen's page. She has 100,000 followers. Um, so tens of thousands of people might be looking at what you wrote. So even if you're not getting the person you're talking with or commenting with, you're getting other people, which again is another, you're, you're getting in other people who are listening and will never comment. They're just lurking. They're just hearing things, which is again, another reason to be kind, be the kind one, be the one who looks like the good guy in all situations, whether you're talking in person, on the phone, on zoom, on social media, whatever, be the good guy, be the kind, empathetic, magnanimous, uh, and, 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 uh, logical one. Um, and, and, you know, be the one that's actually changing minds because a lot of people walk away saying, well, this one was a jerk. So I'm going to go with what this one said. So be the one that they go with. Don't be the jerk. Yeah. I hardly ever am in a debate with someone on Facebook or anywhere where I'm actually trying to change their mind. I know that the people are going to come out and read comments later, which is nice that you can react to comments now because you'll see the likes start to pile up. You get the feedback. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. On on your response. And you're like, okay, well, I think a lot of people are understanding. So it's not even trying, I'm not trying to convince the other person really. And I think that's another approach that a lot of people should take. You know, we talk about that a lot too, that this, it it starts with you. Everyone wants solutions. It starts with you. And and as libertarians, we believe in personal responsibility and this movement has to be what I call a grassroots movement. You know, man, (laughs) starts at the grassroots. We believe in personal responsibility. So let's be personally responsible for sharing the message. Exactly. We believe in a free and open marketplace of ideas. So let's be the best providers in that marketplace of ideas. Let's actually apply our systemic philosophical belief in actual praxis, in actual practice in the world. Let's actually be the human action that we wish to see on a retail level, on a conversational level with people. The three filters I like to use when I'm getting into a conversation with someone that, uh, that, you know, it might be going south or I might be getting upset and, and, and wanting to make sure that I don't react emotionally. The first filter, pretend everyone you know and everyone else is watching because there's a good chance thousands of people are watching 
what would you want them? How would you want them to see you acting? Number two, pretend you're talking with someone that you can pretend you're talking with the person you care about more than anything else, more than anything else, you know, a parent, a spouse, uh, cousin, loved one, friend, whatever, but pretend that they just vehemently disagree with you on this subject. How would you talk to them? And then the final filter is we weren't all libertarians. Most of us came here from something mm-hmm. else. Charles Chuck said earlier that he was, uh, you know, he came from the Republican party. I, I did the same. I was a neocon. Oh yeah. Pretend you're talking. I thought to Obama your... was going to ruin everything. I thought, yeah, like, the, yeah. Obama America was, was over. Well, and he wasn't even an American. I, I bought all that. I know. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. Anyway. So, so pretend you're talking to that guy. Pretend you're talking to that woman. Pretend you're talking to your oh, yeah. former self back when you believe stuff that you think is ridiculous. Now, how would you have wanted someone to talk to you and treat you at that time? Pretend you're talking to yourself. Pretend you're talking about someone you care to someone you're caring, talking to someone you care about. Pretend that lots of people are looking. Try to be accountable and responsible for how you are engaging, and try to be empathetic and kind and magnanimous and dynamic in how you present it. You will get people, if not that person, many others. People you may not even know. People who may not ever reach out to you, but you're planting seeds left and right and don't even know it. Now, this I know we have to wrap up here, and this may be controversial because. Chris Spangle from We Are Libertarians, you know, when we talked to him, he was like, look, we have to stop talking about these types of things. But I think because I'm the person that gave you shit on our podcast, probably like what a month ago, that you should face your accuser, me. And I, I wanted to ask you about the interview with your shirt off. And so, oh, Nipplegate. Yeah. yeah Nipplegate. <laughs> That's what I, I wanted to Everyone ask you about. Everyone needs that. a gate. Now, I understand, uh, you know, Obviously, I, I think I agree with Chris, like, hey, we have to stop talking about this stuff and then people won't pay attention to it. But the, the other side of me is like, I understand you did it probably for attention and there, you know, media is just not going to come out and give the Libertarian Party attention We're, you know, they're not they're going to try to keep us out of the debates. They're going to try to do all of that. I understand that. So what was the kind of give me the real reasoning behind it? And then yeah. what do you think? What you know, because I saw a lot of you know people who lean towards Liberty be really upset about it. Um, and when I say a lot, I'm say, like. Like three? No, I mean I would Seven. say tens. tens no, there were a of lot people. of people that yeah. were very upset. So and I just especially, wanna, I'm just curious. So and, and especially the people who didn't know anything about me before, and they're like, Yeah, I had no okay, idea v- about you before. I really VP didn't. nominee Spike Cohen. Who is this? And then they look and they go, Oh, he's a guy who needs to work out, and and uh, and you know has his shirt off. So here is the 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 calculus behind what that was. It was not it, getting attention was not even really factored in. It was somewhat of a factor, but it really wasn't. Here is what I was facing in the aftermath of being nominated. Uh, As many people probably know, I was Vermin Supreme's uh, proposed running mate. And I believe that Vermin's style of nonlinear messaging and satire is an incredibly powerful way of reaching a, a very large minority of voters who don't participate and don't want to hear a thing from a politician. But if you can entertain them, you can get their attention. You can lower that cognitive defense because they don't feel like a politician's lying to them. They're just being entertained. Now they want to hear more. And now, you know, they know there's an underlying political message. And over time, they want to hear more and more and more. And then we get them. And that's why Vermin's been so fantastic at bringing in thousands of people to the party. And I'm grateful that he is campaigning uh, and helping uh, Joe and I in our campaign uh, because, you know, we have a very serious message, a very serious concern about the future that our country and we as individuals and we as communities are facing. Um, so specifically with Nipplegate, 
I got the nomination. <laughs> I, ha- I had two competing for, I had a few different factors here. One, a lot of people didn't know who I was outside of the Libertarian Party and outside of, so my Muddy Waters Media, the, the shows that I have, we don't market to Libertarians. We have Libertarians that watch it, but we market outside of Liberty Circles. So we try to bring in people from well outside of Liberty Circles. We, we do feel the same like there thing, are a ton yeah. of other podcasts and shows and everything that are doing a fantastic job of bringing libertarian-minded people into libertarianism. We wanted to go and reach people that had never even heard of it. So for that reason, I wasn't well-known in the Libertarian Party when I first started running. Within six months, they made me the nominee. And now I'm in a situation where a large number of people in just the greater liberty movement don't know a lot about me. And we're working on that. And that's, that's you know, I, I, I'm more well known with each day. But so I had that going on. But I also had a lot of the vermin supporters who wanted me to take the mantle of vermin, to wear the boot, if not literally, then figuratively and start just being this satirical campaigner, which really was never what I was. I was always sort of the the straight man to vermin. I'd joke around with them somewhat, but I was more the, you know, vermin was bringing them in with the satire and then I would present the actual serious message. That's That was the one-two punch of how we did it. And I always planned, no matter who I was pa- paired with, to run a serious campaign and, and to use empathetic and dynamic messaging to share a serious message with people in a serious way. That was always the plan. The other thing I was facing was where uh, a lot of the, you know, the more pragmatic people in the party wanted me to just now, now I was to pretend that I had never done anything funny in my entire life to not even be funny on my shows and to present myself in just a completely almost dour presentation, which is not who I am. I I present things in a humorous way. Even if I'm not being satirical, I still have a good natured humorous approach. I always plan to campaign as Spike Cohen, the way that Spike Cohen campaigns, not the Joe Jorgensen way, which is a great way to campaign. And I think we are a fantastic fusion pairing. But Joe Jorgensen is Joe Jorgensen, and she's campaigning her way in a fantastic way. And I'm Spike Cohen, and I'm campaigning my way. And we're doing a great job campaigning together. And I'm not campaigning like Vermin. Vermin's doing a great job bringing people to the party into our campaign. But I'm not Vermin Supreme. I'm Spike Cohen. The other thing was that there was this ridiculous scandal of the fact that my personal profile picture on my Facebook page was a picture of me lying on the beach without a shirt on <laughs> at the beach in the water. <laughs> I didn't see that. But that's just, yeah. Ridiculous. So that's what started that whole thing. Okay. So okay. I had all these different things going on and I realized I needed to do something to recalibrate everything, to put a jolt in everything. And that's what Nipplegate was. <laughs> I did a show where I talked Totally seriously. I didn't joke once. I didn't even laugh. I told serious stuff. I told we talked about police brutality and the quantitative easing and the Federal Reserve and everything else. No shirt on. And I, oh, and I'm holding a stuffed. Everyone forgets. I'm also holding a stuffed uh, spark, sparkly narwhal in the in the middle of all. That's that. what I was most upset about. <laughs> That's what yeah. a lot of people were upset about. Yeah. And then and the other scandal was a lot of people thought that the, the shirt I the hat I was wearing was from Liberty Hangout, and it's not. It's from Dan Berman. <laughs> but so that was a mini scandal there. But so the bottom line is, I presented a jolt. I let the Vermin people know that I was not selling out by not campaigning like vermin moving forward because that was never my plan, but that I do things the way that I want to do things. I let the Joe people know, and I shouldn't even say the Joe people because this was never, it was never from Joe's team or anything like that. This was individual people who thought, okay, now put on a suit and tie at all times and never crack a joke ever again. I let them know that I do things the way that I want to and I'm campaigning that way. And now everything moving forward looks far more serious in contrast, 
And so now they're all saying, you know, I didn't know what to think about you. And I didn't like that whole nipple thing, but man, you really know how to make a point, blah, blah, blah. blah. So I did that. And the other thing I did was, yeah, it got, it got what I was doing out there to a lot of people. And I knew that they would attack me and I knew that they would, that attack would give way to wanting to find out more. Why the hell did they even pick this guy? And that wanting to find out more would eventually give way to them hearing what I actually have to say. And so I was willing to take the bumps and the bruises and the people calling me a joke and saying that I was single-handedly destroying the libertarian movement because I knew that that would last for a matter of a couple of weeks and that over time people would come in and more and more people. So we see it. There's the ratio between people saying I'm terrible and people telling them to actually look into what I have to say is just continuing to become lopsided. And that was always the intention. With that said, I have never done an interview before, nor do I plan to do an interview after without wearing clothes. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got that yeah. on the record, but I, I well, you don't need pants on. Well, yeah, well, we all agree with that. Yeah, yeah. That's no, not even controversial. Visible that's, clothes, yeah. right. clothes on my visible person. Yeah. yeah, that's not a big deal. Yeah, man, I just want to say I was I was in that same camp when that happened and and I admitted to our followers, to our supporters and our our listeners several times over the last couple of weeks that my initial response was an emotional one. That you are actually uh you are actually one of the best libertarian speakers I've heard in a long time. And uh, I mean, I just could not be more excited that you're out there talking to people about this because it's freaking amazing. And so I'm going to make a, a donation to the campaign. And what I want you to let me know is where can I go to do that? Go to joej2020.com slash contribute, uh, or you can just go to joj2020.com and there's a donate button. Uh, and we would appreciate everyone's donations. That would be fantastic. Anything that you're able to give, uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Great, Awesome, man. man. Well, we love the conversation and uh, maybe we'll have you back on as things keep rolling. I'd love and, it. And, you know, 2016, we thought we had a great opportunity. 2020 said, hold my beer. And uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's get the grassroots movement going on this let's thing. do it let's win this thing guys let's thank you guys it. so much for your time nate charles chuck charlie thank you so much for your time <laughs> i greatly <laughs> appreciate it thanks Mike. Have take care day. all right guys thank you so much for listening that was an amazing interview I'm, I'm so glad we were able to have him on that what a great messenger of the ideology i wanted to say we didn't get to it but i wanted to say like we do the same thing here yeah that our show is entertaining what draws people in is that we're hilarious man yeah and i don't give Two flying frogs, what people think. <laughs> but people, think, I mean, we have comments and, and reviews. It's like, this is one of the funniest Liberty podcasts out there. It makes it, it makes it so you want to come back and listen. Because while we're spewing the truth, because we are, we're making it funny too, which is relatable. People like funny. It, they takes, like people's, those it takes people's guards down exactly. so they'll actually listen. It's what Dave Smith does as a comic, right? That's like yeah. all of those things. It's very... It's you have to be entertaining you because otherwise people find you boring. You have to stand for something. This is what another thing I really liked what Spike was talking about is like you can't be this amalgam of well we're a sprinkle of this and a sprinkle of that. People are like getting boring, man. I'm over it. You have to stand for something. Nate's never seen Braveheart, so he clearly doesn't understand. But when he was given the speech about fighting for liberty and said, look. You could run and you'll live, but if you like, wouldn't you rather fight for freedom? And the way he was doing it, he he was like, "Look, if you stand for something, people will follow you." Ron Paul didn't back down from saying legalize all drugs. He didn't back down from saying in the Fed. Are there illegal he drugs out there? Illegal drugs? I thought you said jugs. My bad. Jugs. Oh, I'm, I'm fine with jugs. I think everyone is. 
Honestly. Yeah. I learned about jugs from Liar Liar. <laughs> My mom. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but illegal drugs are another also, thing. Also, yeah. yeah. He didn't back We should down. end the jug war, though. I do think that that's been <laughs> one of the biggest travesties inflicted upon. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, and sorry. We should end that, but we should also end the, the drug war, too. But Ron Paul, what I'm trying to get at is Ron Paul stood for something. You have to not, you can't back down. You can't water down the message. You can't back down. It's all about what we talk about on this show all the time. It comes down to personal responsibility, meeting people where they're at, and then presenting our solutions in a way, message our solutions in a way that makes sense to them in the way that they think, not in the way that you think. It really does come down to, to being empathetic and yes. you know showing the emotional side because i will say one thing i've learned more than anything in this last year of my life has been empathy yeah yeah it's very you know, important you know, because people won't listen to you if they don't think right. you care and that's one of the biggest that's one of the biggest criticisms of libertarianism is that oh you just care about you and and that's it well like no i i care about me but also like i was saying during the thing i'm a podcast i'm a i'm a podcast i'm a libertarian because i'm i'm sick of the wars i'm a libertarian because i want people who are poor to be able to rise up like that's why i'm a libertarian i don't want so many people in cages for never hurting anyone but themselves that's why i'm a libertarian because i do care about those things because i don't want to see millions of people starve to death when when the free market could solve these problems and that's why i'm a libertarian that's one of the most important things i think both of us have came to over the last year or so is that we've all got to fix the messaging and it can't just be anti everything you can say anti things and then explain why but we've also got to be putting forward solutions and we've got to be showing people that we care harder than everyone else we actually do people aren't taking the problem seriously enough as charlie always says people aren't taking the problem seriously enough biden isn't trump isn't they're both talking about problems but neither one of them actually care enough to really do something that could solve them and they only care about retaining the power yeah libertarians actually care to a point where they take the problem seriously enough where they could actually come up with solutions that are not as easy as getting out of one tweet you can't just tweet out your policy like Bernie Sanders can, everything free, and then have a bunch of extra characters afterwards to talk about Jeff Bezos or something like that. Like, we can't just do that, but we can work on getting the message across that we have solutions and that they're better for people. If you care about helping people, then you want to be talking about libertarianism. That's, that's what you want to be doing. What I want to say is, um, while it's true what Ben Shapiro says, while it is true that facts don't care about your feelings. The, the second half of that statement is feelings do care about the facts. They do the way that people feel, even if they're wrong is also real to them. And so you have to approach it from that perspective. So I, I believe Nate may disagree with me here that feelings do care about facts. Because even present, even when you're presented with the factual information, that may not immediately change the way that you feel because you are convicted. This Democratic and Republican ideology is like a religion. People are convinced and convicted that the other side is the enemy. And they have to do everything they can to defeat the enemy. And even if you present the Republicans with the facts, 
about how much, how we spend too much on military or anything like that. They all brush it off and like, well, you, you know, uh, you know, you don't care Lin- about the troops. Lindsey Graham said that we could see an immediate attack if, you know, we don't raise, raise the money you know, and you don't care about the troops, man. <laughs> why you, well, I don't know why you're so anti patriotics, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I took my antibiotics this morning and felt patriotics. The the thing that we have to real <laughs> I'm pro patriotics. Did you take your patriotics this morning? I took my pro patriotics. <laughs> uh like the way that people feel, it's not we've been talking about this. The way that people feel is not always say the reason they feel some way might not actually be rooted in a truth that exists, but the way that they feel is true to them. So, for instance, like your wife or girlfriend might say, I don't feel like you love me. And while you just love her more than anything else in the world, anything else in the world. You could have proposed the day before. Yeah. And And the next day. And she could say that. And what you have to realize is, while she might be wrong, and you do love her, there's something you've done that's wrong that has made her feel that way, more than likely. Or you haven't met an expectation. Yeah. But the way that she feels is valid, cor- correct to her. Right. Now, maybe it's not always your fault, but there is some personal responsibility that can be taken. And that goes well, all the way. Let me tell you, that can be frustrating. Yes. Yes. Yes, it can. And this goes all the way to politics and libertarianism. Like people feel a certain way. And while they might be wrong about the underlying reason they feel that way, maybe it's not true that that whatever is that corporations are the worst thing in the world and they're going to kill all of us or whatever. There's a reason they feel that way. And one of the things I loved that Spike said that I was actually going to say earlier in the podcast, he ended up saying is that we, we are, we're free market people. And that goes all the way down to ideas. There's a free market of ideas and we're losing in the market of good ideas and good solutions because we're not presenting it in a way that is going to win people over. And we've all got to figure that out because if it's a free market of ideas, if we can put out ideas and compete with other people, then we've got to find a way to do better at that. And that, that's something we've always tried to do better here is get these ideas across in a way that's, that's, that's better than what other people are doing and that can present this idea as better than socialism or better than, you know, some kind of far right extremism it's or better whatever than it slavery. is. Better than slavery. And one of the things I, I was going to say it, uh, we were at Young Americans for Liberty and someone someone said they were having a hard time getting people to come up and talk to them and they were asking them what, if they love liberty? If they love freedom? They're like, uh, you know, I'm asking people and saying, hey, do you love liberty? And, yeah. And no one will come up, no one will come up and talk to me and Charlie was like, you're, ask, you're asking the wrong question. He said, ask them if, ask them if they like cages. <laughs> like, hey, do you, want, do you want to be put in a cage? <laughs> and the answer is no. So since the answer is no, then we all agree on something and we can move from there and figure out how to not be put in a cage. And there, there's all kinds of different cages, by the way. We've been talking about over the weekend, I've been arguing with people over the Soviet Union and all kinds of stuff and slaveholders and everything like that. Lenin, And I was like, Jesus. listen, okay, um, maybe, maybe someone didn't have slaves. You know what? The entire country were slaves to the government. They did have slaves. It was whatever the population of the country was. Those were the slaves. 
And so, so it's wrong to say that they weren't slaveholders, especially if they had ordered the construction of the gulags. It doesn't make any sense. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that some other time. But we can all agree on that. And there's different forms of being put in a cage. There, you know, we're not all in a prison cell right now. But in a way, we still are. We're, we're under threat of prison by extortion all the time from the government. Uh, who has a monopoly of violence and, and a monopoly over everything that they do because they have the monopoly on use of force. So while we're not in the same predicament that someone that's found them wrongly imprisoned would be, we're all in a taxation prison right now. We're all in a regulation prison. We're, we're all stuck and held down by this government in some kind of a way. And we can find a way to agree on that. Guys, if you like the podcast, tell a friend. Tell your communist uncle, go to mastermytrades.com if you are interested in learning about the stock market. We day trade every single day of the week. And uh, if you want to know how to read a stock chart, what strategies we use, how to use your stock platform, open up a brokerage, use the brokerage, all the different forms of ordering. It sounds really complicated. It's not as complicated as you think. Once you once you get the hang of it, it, it honestly is something that anyone anyone can figure out. And we go live every single morning and tell people what we will be trading in the stock market. Now, that's not a recommendation that you do it. I'm just letting you guys know what I'm going to be trading at, at what specific price points and, and all of that. So Potentially. It, potentially. Potentially, yeah. if it shapes up correctly. If you guys are interested in that, then go to mastermytrades.com. Take control of your future right now. Stop being dependent on someone else. Maybe you'll like trading. Go check it out. It could change your life. It's very potential that it could change your life. And the value of this class is just unbelievable. I know. It's the most valuable trading academy that you'll find out there. Go do the research on it. Go check us out. You could be paying hundreds to thousands of dollars per month for other training on trading. And ours is economically viable. We were able to do so, that because we we're already sitting here in front of our computers with cameras and microphones and, and all that stuff every single day anyway. So I was like, oh, we might as well go live. Might as well show people what we're doing. Might as well record some trading videos. It's a lot easier than if we were just going to do that for a living. So we were able to, to knock the price down to where it's, it's, it's not even close. It's the cheapest trading class with some of the most information and some of the most videos that you're going to find. I mean, 110, 120 videos now, something like that on the website. We added, we're adding daily, Just man. keep adding new videos all the time. So if you're interested, go to mastermytrades.com. Charlie, as, tell them about the other stuff. As Nate said, uh, share the show with a friend, a communist uncle, a, you know, share it with a loved one. That's what you should do. Yeah. Share it with your friends and your loved ones and let them know that there is a better way. There's a better way to do things and that they have control over that. They can be in charge of that better way. And so do that by sharing the show with them. And then, of course, one of the best things you can do for us is leave us that rating and review. A lot of them have come in recently and they are helping us way more than you guys know. It's it's very simple, easy thing to do. Just go leave that rating and review. And if you do all of that, then we'll be back again tomorrow. I hope you guys have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. And